life is filled with moments. And to help encourage powerful moments with the Lord each and every day, Dr. David Jeremiah has written a new book called Moments with God. This beautiful year-long devotional makes a wonderful companion to your personal Bible study. When you give a generous year-end gift of $120 or more to Turning Point, you'll receive a Moments with God devotional four-pack, one for you and three to share. Donate online at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. With the approach of a new year, it's natural to take stock of your life and ask God the questions only He can answer, like, Why am I here? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah offers assurance that you're not alone in asking that question and looks for life's purpose in the people profiled in God's Word. Here's David to introduce his special message, Living Your Life on Purpose. You know, some people just sort of wander through life uh, um bouncing off from this thing to the next thing, uh, willy-nilly, not really focused on anything. And they end up with a, a life that's kind of disappointing at the end, and they look back over missed opportunities. And then there are others who live their life on purpose. I believe that's God's plan for his people, to live our lives on purpose. We aren't here by accident. We didn't miss our generation. People always say, I wish you could have lived at a different time. Well, that didn't happen. God puts you down at this time because he wanted you here at this time, and he has a purpose for your life, and he has a purpose for mine. A great time of the year to review God's purpose for your life and to check and see whether or not you're living according to that purpose or if you've wandered off the way. This is a time for that to happen. This is a time for you to think about that, for me to think about that as we look forward to the new year. And uh, today, the title of my message is Living Your Life on Purpose. I have some things to say to you at the end as we close out the year together, but let's begin our study right now. When I was ordained many years ago, my father, who was then living and was the pastor who was in charge of the ordination, preached a message at my ordination service from Acts chapter 13, verse 36. And this is what that verse says. David served his own generation by the will of God. And my father gave that verse to me as sort of a challenge for my life and ministry that I would take that as from the Lord and that I would serve my generation by the will of God. And I remember my father saying, you can't serve the generation before you because you weren't there. You'll never be able to serve the generation that's after you because you won't be there. You have to serve the generation in which you live and you must do it by the will of God. And I've never forgotten those words. And then my father reminded me that there's only one thing God can ever ask of us and that is, that we do what he tells us to do and we live our lives on purpose for him. Now there are a number of people in the Bible who live such a life. I want to introduce you to four of them, two from the Old Testament and two from the New. These people are known to you, some of them more than others, but in each of their lives they lived on purpose and because of that God used them to make an incredible impact on the people around them and on the generations that follow. We read about them today. We learn about them and study about them today because their lives were so purposeful we can't get away from them. 
The first one is the man Daniel. And in the life of Daniel, we discover the power of purpose. The story of Daniel actually is the story of three of his friends and himself who were taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar who was the king of Babylon. They were singled out by this wicked Babylonian king to represent him to his Jewish captives. So Nebuchadnezzar brought them to Babylon and he did everything he could do to brainwash them into looking Babylonian on the inside even though they were Jewish on the outside. His method was, if I can get these young Jewish boys to represent me to their people and I can change them on the inside so that they're really Babylonian in their thinking, they will be a useful tool to keeping peace among the people that we have in captivity. So he brought Daniel and his three friends into his palace and he began to train them. He taught them the Babylonian culture. He changed all of their names from Jewish names to Babylonian names. Daniel's name, for instance, which was God is judge, Dan Yale. The God is my judge is what that word means. They changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar, which was in honor of the God Baal. And the food from the king's table was a major problem for Daniel, who was a wonderful godly Jew, because certainly it would not be kosher. And to eat it would have involved Daniel in the violation of the law. The drink that he was offered, according to the text, was wine from the king's table. And Daniel knew that before any Babylonian king drank any wine, it was first of all offered to the pagan gods that they served. So for Daniel to eat the food from the king's table would violate his covenant. And for him to drink the wine from the king's kitchen would violate the covenant. And so the Bible says Daniel had to make a decision. And we come now to Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And I want you to go back to the beginning of the verse where it says Daniel purposed in his heart. He made a decision. I wish I could tell you the rest of the story because it is a glorious story. But I need to hasten on to the next person. And this person from the Old Testament is a man by the name of Ezra sometimes referred to as Ezra the scribe. Now Ezra is usually given credit for writing the book which bears his name, the book of Ezra, for giving details concerning the book of Nehemiah and perhaps even the chronicles of the Old Testament. Some of them are attributed to him. Whatever we know about Ezra, he was a great man, a man greatly used of God and he illustrates the preparation of purpose. You see, God had used Ezra the scribe to bring reform to his people who had returned from captivity to rebuild the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. Using the written word of God, Ezra led the people in a revival. What had happened was, while they had been away for 70 years, they had forgotten many of their traditions and many of their commitments. They came back to rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple. And while there was some excitement at the beginning, it wasn't long before the Jewish people began to descend to the depths of living 
much of which they had learned in the Babylonian culture, but much of which was just their own decadent lives. And while God sent Nehemiah back to build up the walls of the city, he primarily sent Ezra back to teach the people from the word of God so that they could be renewed and they could begin again to worship Jehovah God as they had been called upon to worship him in the beginning. And Ezra came back. And the Bible tells us that he instituted reforms and he began to lead revivals. And after the completion of the wall, Ezra and Nehemiah gathered the people together For there you will see what happens when God's word is given freedom to have an impact on the life of a culture. For seven days, now watch this, from early in the morning until noon, everybody came together and they listened to the word of God as Ezra stood on a platform and he read the word of God and he told them what the word of God meant. Now this wasn't your normal morning service. It started at daybreak, probably around six, And it lasted until noon, and they stood up for the whole service. And the only attraction for that gathering was God's holy word and a man by the name of Ezra who knew the word of God and could interpret it and explain it to the people. And you say, how in the world did he get into such a position of leadership and strength and influence so that he literally turned the course of a nation through the teaching and preaching of the word of God? Well, I want to give you the key. It's in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, and this is what it says. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Look at the front of the verse. Once again, he prepared his heart. Say it out loud. He prepared his heart. You don't really do anything for God that's going to make a difference unless there is an on-time, intentional, purposeful decision that this is going to happen. I don't know anybody that just floats into greatness. Do you? I don't know anybody that just sort of goes with the flow and makes a difference in their culture. Somewhere along the way, you have to drive a stake in the ground and say, this is what I'm committed to. And for Ezra, it was the commitment to prepare his heart to seek the law. It would be like a young man today coming forward in a service and saying, I believe that God has called me to the ministry and I am going to go to seminary and learn to teach the word of God so that I can make a difference in the generation to come. That's what Ezra did. He began to live his life on purpose so that everything about him had to do with his focus on the word of God. And what a dramatic change took place because of his influence. So we have Ezra in the Old Testament. And we have the opportunity to see what God did in his life. And we have Daniel in the Old Testament. Just two illustrations of people who lived their lives on purpose. Now let's come to the New Testament because some of you say, well, give me something more recent. And I want to share with you, first of all, the life of Paul, who under any gaze has been listed as perhaps the most influential man who lived upon the face of this earth apart from Jesus Christ. To him we owe 13 of the epistles of the New Testament, according to most people, if you include Hebrews. To him we owe the foundation principles of the church. To him we owe the missionary strategy of outreach. To him we owe the power of a testimony from a transformed life. And you can go on and on. 
Paul was and is even to this day considered one of the greatest men who ever lived. But as we turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, we learn his secret. According to verse 11 of the third chapter, Paul's passion and his goal in life was to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And in order to do that, Paul made a decision in his life. He decided to live on purpose. And listen to this statement, which is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Say that out loud. One thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul had as his all-consuming goal to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. But he didn't just have a high moment in his thought process. The Bible says he made a decision. He made a decision to make that the very core of his existence. He didn't say, these many things I dabble in. He said, this one thing I do. And he focused himself on that decision and determined to live his life on purpose. And you know what the result of it was? At the end of his life, and we have the record of this in 2 Timothy, which was his swan song, the last letter that he wrote. In the swan song that Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, he writes these words. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure or my death is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who love his appearing. Paul got to the end of his life because of the purpose he had made at the beginning of his life, and he said, looking back on my life, I can say, I finished my course. I did what I was supposed to do. I fought the fight. And I'm excited about the future because there's a crown waiting for me. You say, can anybody live like that? I mean, maybe if you thought about that in your own life right now and you thought, boy, this is my day of departure, what would your thoughts be? For many of us, I'm sure it would be all the things that we wish we had done that we didn't get done. All the things we wanted to do for God or we were going to do for God someday, but we never quite got to it. But Paul put his anchor down deep, drove the stake in the ground, and he said, this is my goal, to know him. And I look back on my life now, and I can say I've finished the course. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to meet God. Let me give you one last illustration, and you might think this is almost unfair because it's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We often say we shouldn't use Christ in his example because he was the God-man. I mean, how do I compare to this? I mean, how do I deal with this? What arena can I find a way to be in with him? But he came to live among us, to be one of us. And we celebrate his coming. And he came to show us through his power how we could live a life that is meaningful and purposeful. And Jesus knew why he was here. Did you know that? He never, ever doubted the reason why he came to this earth. In fact, when Jesus was just 12 years of age, you remember he went to the temple with his parents and they forgot him. 
which is something that happens on occasion if you go to church as much as we do. You forget your children and leave them there. I've come home a couple of times and counted noses at the table and there weren't enough noses for the chairs and we had to go back and get somebody we forgot. Well, Jesus' parents left Jesus at the temple and they went back and you can tell from the text that they were a little bit upset with him. I mean, how do you get upset with Jesus? But they were upset with him and they were gonna scold him and they began to chide him for his absence. And in Luke 2, 49, Jesus, 12 years old now, listen to me, 12 years old, Jesus said, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Did Jesus know where he was going and what he was doing? On one occasion, many years later, his disciples told him that he needed to eat to replenish his strength. And Jesus said, John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Just before he healed a blind man in John chapter 9, Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. Almost every place you turn in the life of Jesus, you get the sense that here was a man driven by divine purpose. It was everything to him. It was his food. It was his water. It was his air. It was his sunlight. It was the rain. It was life itself. And all the pressures and all the anxieties and all the hostilities that surrounded him never got in his way. Why not? Because he had his mind fixed on doing God's purpose in his life. He was a man who was fueled by divine purpose. It rang in his voice. It throbbed in his veins. It shaped his every waking hour. And what was that purpose? Listen to these verses. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. John 10, 10 10b. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. If you ever asked Jesus on any day he was on this earth, Lord Jesus, why are you here? He would not have flinched. He would have said, I came to die. That was his purpose. He was born to die. That he might fulfill the will of his father and provide redemption for all of us. Aren't you glad Jesus never wavered from his purpose? (laughs) Aren't you glad? He set his face like a flint to go to the cross. He never lost his way. And he lived his life on purpose. And you know what the Lord Jesus said when he got to the end of his earthly existence? No, he didn't end his existence, but his life on the earth. In John chapter 17 and verse 4, in the great high priestly prayer, Jesus said, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I want us to read that out loud. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Did you know that just as God the Father gave Jesus a certain work to do, he's given every one of us a certain work to do. Did you know that? I believe that with all of my heart. We are not just wandering around here trying to bump into something good to do. We are here by the design of Almighty God. He's equipped us, each one. He's given us gifts. He's given us abilities. He's given us opportunities. He's put us in families and in neighborhoods and in positions in the workforce and he's putting us in the military and he's given us all specific tasks to do but we will never know the joy of doing them unless we seek what they are and begin to do them on purpose we don't just do them because we're in the mood there were many times for Ezra and Daniel and Paul and even for Jesus 
when having set their purpose, there would have been opportunity to go off course. I don't believe Jesus could ever have gone off course because he was the sinless son of God. But certainly the opportunities would have been put in his way. You remember when Satan took him out into the desert and tried to get him to abort the kingdom's work, to bow down before him, and and Satan said, I'll give you everything. And the Lord refuted him from the scripture. A sense of purpose sets you in a direction. No, it doesn't mean you won't have any detours, but you always know the road to get back on. It doesn't mean that you won't ever get lost on occasion, but when you get found, you'll know where you are. But without understanding that God has a purpose for our lives, we will struggle and we will always be doing this meandering through life, wondering what is it all about? And we will be the first in line to say, my most important question to God is why am I here? (laughs) Why am I here? I am convinced men and women that God has a purpose for us even though we will never be called upon to become the savior of the world, it is still true that there is a divine purpose that must direct our lives. Our frustration and loss of inner directedness often comes when we lose sight of our goal, when we forget the purpose for which we are here. We grow weary when we get caught up in the side issues, when we chase rabbits, when we pursue tangents instead of keeping our minds fixed upon the goal. We need purpose. Why are you doing what you're doing? This is what God has called me to do, and I'm fulfilling his plan for my life. Where do you see some areas that God may want to touch in your life? Where do you see a new sense of purpose for your walk with him? Now, let me give you some ideas of what we're talking about. It might be your devotional life, your reading of God's word, your personal habits, your life of holiness. Most of us know if we're on target there or if we're not. Maybe you haven't even started a walk with God in a personal way. The second area is in the area of your family life. Some of you maybe need to do some purposeful work in your relationship with your spouse or your children or your parents or even your extended family. Maybe you have an unsaved one in your family and you need to be more purposeful in praying and witnessing to that person in a godly way. In the area of your ministry in the church, Maybe God has been nudging you to move out into some new area of faith. Maybe you've been letting your ministry slip to a low priority in your life. Maybe God has been speaking to you about serving in some area and you just let his voice get lost in the noise of your busy life. Where does God want you to serve? And in the area of your outreach to the world, this could be your fear of witnessing. It could be maybe some neighbors you know who need to know the Lord and every time you walk by their house you get a little guilty feeling because you've never taken time to get to know them and try to win them to Christ might have to do with someone you work with each day might be some struggle you're having with someone who does not know the Lord there's a lot of maybes aren't there a lot of maybes or might be's uh, as you look at the end of the year and the beginning of a new one let's turn all of those into possibilities and make the effort to make an investment in their lives. What a great goal for the end of the year and the beginning of the new year. I want to take this moment to thank you for your faithfulness in 2022. With all that has happened to our country financially, all of the turmoil politically, all of the uh, problems that we've had in just about every area of life, the one thing that has made us all aware of the goodness of God is the constancy of his word. And because you supported us and stood with us during this year faithfully, we've been able to maintain all of our resources to 
fund the many programs that are on the radio, on television, and social media, through printed materials. You make that happen, and I want to thank you. And I pray that God will give you a, a wonderful new year of, of adventure with God and accomplishment in your own life. Don't forget, this is the last time you can order Moments with God, which is the devotional for the new year. You can order that from us by simply making a year-end gift to Turning Point. Whatever the size of your gift, just ask for your copy of Moments with God, and it will be on its way to you, packaged perfectly to make sure it stays clean and fresh, and you will have this devotional uh, to read from every day in the year ahead. I hope you will do that and that God will use it to strengthen and encourage your life. During the year, we have had one major thing that has happened, and I want to end uh, with just a note about that. The movie, Why the Nativity, has had an incredible reception. We're still gathering up all of the information about the fruit that has come from this production. In the early part of the new year, we'll try to give you a report on what God has done, but it's way beyond anything we could ever have thought or asked, and that God does that, doesn't he? I always say God does so many things in such a way that only he can get a credit for it, and uh, he will get the credit for this because we could not have imagined what he would do with the story of the birth of his son. Thank you all for supporting it. Have a wonderful and happy new year from Donna and myself and all of us. Happy new year, everybody. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's special messages for the new year, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's 365-day devotional for 2023, Moments with God. It's a powerful tool for daily inspiration in the year ahead. Perfect as a gift or for your own study. And it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we begin the series, God Loves You, He Always Has, He Always Will, here on Turning Point. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca study. That's davidjeremiah.ca study. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. As the new year approaches, consider these beautiful and hopeful words from hymn writer Francis Ridley Havergal. Another year is dawning, dear Father, let it be, in working or in waiting, another year with Thee. 
Another year of progress, another year of praise, another year of proving thy presence all the days, another year of service, of witness for thy love, another year of training for holier work above, another year is dawning, dear Father, let it be, on earth or else in heaven, another year for thee. Plan now to spend the dawning new year, whatever it holds, with your Heavenly Father. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's best for your new year on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.